Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a Black Arts and Cultural Program of the African Sisters Media Network. And we are going to play a special broadcast from 2013. It's one of my favorite interviews with the uh, wonderful Rodessa Jones, uh, co-founder of Cultural Odyssey and also the uh, founder of the Medea Project Theater for Incarcerated Women. And uh, this particular interview uh, is called, uh, well, she had a one-woman show as only Queen Rodessa could produce uh, called The Resurrection of She. And it was simply marvelous. Oh, my goodness. It was Ah. <laughs> it was such a goddess story. It is such a goddess story. She is such a goddess story. And so I want to play that for you this morning. And that's going to be followed by a uh, rebroadcast of a wonderful interview with the director of the Toni Morrison documentary that was really phenomenal as well. So that's going to be our show today. Enjoy. So I'm speaking to Miss Rodessa Jones about the resurrection of She, and it's directed and the music is by uh, Idris Akamur, her longtime um, collaborator, and uh, Hamilton College is presenting this. Um, tell me yes. about the Hamilton College presentation. Um, they That was the first place it was presented? Yeah, it was a... Uh, we wanted to see if it had legs, uh, just because I was scheduled to be there to do some work in a prison there. Oh. That, that uh, strangely enough, that fell apart for them. Mm-hmm. They couldn't get clearance. You know, San Francisco, California is a very different place for for us. Even the prisons, although they're 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 large uh, warehousing and it's a money making factor. But for me, anyways, I cut my tooth in California on working in prisons and. And in other places, they're just prisons are just hard to get into, you know. So. Yeah, I tried. Um, yeah, lot of, yeah, it's really hard. You can't even you can only you can even get in the like the lobby. You're you're, out, you're outside talking to them, and they're saying no, you can't come in. And that's South Africa, Madagascar, mm. and Senegal. Yeah, those are uh, you know I uh, my some of my African friends and associates they kind of get miffed, but I always I just end my my salutations and everything with them would just pray for Africa because, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's just so, the deal is going down and it's always so dark in a lot of ways. And, you know, and uh, it just, South Africa, I was very impressed because of the the program that they embraced. I mean, I was surprised because I, I thought I was going to go and it was going to be the same, same old, same old, same old. But, no, I actually have been working there now for almost a decade in mm-hmm. Africa. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I I stayed down the street from you. I couldn't afford where you all stay. <laughs> oh yeah, well that's uh, yeah. That was uh thanks thanks to the thanks to the um the Rockefeller Foundation actually. Oh okay okay yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. it's a nice neighborhood. It doesn't feel like Africa at all. I mean, there's a Seventh Street. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, you know, but you uh, but I was uh, I just taught. Uh, I was just at Brown uh, this past weekend. I did a a major creative performance creative survival workshop with students mm. around. Mm-hmm. I had a young lady from Kenya, and um, she was talking about how 
Africa is looking more and more like that. Wherever there's any affluence, it's like those nice neighborhoods that are all locked down, though. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you cannot get, you you know, you, you living in those neighborhoods, it's like you gotta have a key to do this, you gotta have a key to do that, mm-hmm. because you know the 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 poor is the poor is pounding at the door, you know, and uh, and the rich are getting richer, and they're not. Uh, and they don't look like black Africa, you know, mm-hmm. basically. So the guy that we that owns the spot that we ran, he's a white South African who who wears a mask of gentility and uh but I but I've got to know the people who work there and you know, and it's still slavery, you know, it's mm-hmm. still uh, largely slavery. One of my favorite uh, maids she quit, you know, I mean uh, she she wanted to be a nurse and this man was not gonna have her giving him hours when she could work and uh, because she was trying to go back to school and better herself. It was just insane. And uh, I've been very uh, supportive of her as well, right down to sending money every Mm -hmm. few months to her and her family because she's trying to find another job. But she did get into school and uh, got some support from some organization, but she she lost her job because she was attempting to better herself, you know. Hmm. Yeah, he wouldn't let her work there, and uh, because she was calling her own hours, it was, it was pretty amazing. Yeah, just mm-hmm. we take so much for granted, even as crazy as it is in this country, we take so much for granted about where you can go, what you can do, how you can dream. You know. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, yeah. And um, speaking of dreaming and telling stories, it seems as if you know you were born telling stories. You must have been, you know, you know, eating eating this great produce that your your migrant, um, you know, family members, you know, the Dolphinia family, you know, as you were traveling along the East Coast, you know, they were traveling on the East Coast picking vegetables and fruits and telling stories, perhaps. Yeah. Well, you know, the storytelling really was handed down from my grandmother, mm-hmm. my mother's mother. You know, um, uh, early on, even before the migratory um, legacy ha- started to happen in my family, my grandmother, that's how she took care of all of us. That's how she kept us focused. And and uh, and she was just a master storyteller, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, 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 you know, I, I knew about Uncle Ramos long before Walt Disney, you know. Uh, Bert Rabbit, mm-hmm. uh, Bert Fox, and then my dad. My dad was also a wonderful storyteller in that, you know, he he passed on all those, a lot of, uh, well, not all of them, but a lot of the stories that Zora Neale Hurston proceeded to capture in her anthological uh, studies. Uh, he was already, my dad was already telling us these stories about the talking mule and mm-hmm. um, you know, and he, my father had even been to Eatonville when he was oh, a man. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, did, did he meet Zora Neale Hurston? Was she still there? I have a feeling that uh, I have this, I have this premise. Maybe it's my own storyteller, but there is a, a sad story in my family uh, that my mother shared with my brother Bill and I. Very interesting in that we were uh, Bill was uh, presenting the last supper at Uncle Tom's cabin. This was like back in the late 80s, 90s, mm-hmm. and we were all in the limo circling the block, uh, trying to find a way to to get out. Uh, my mom was with us. It was Bill and I. My mother started telling us the story of how my father had killed my Uncle Pat, her older sister's husband. They had been brothers, literally. They had been so close. Mm-hmm. But it was over a woman, a fancy city woman, who 
would sit uh, on the uh, sit on the commissary steps and share stories with these men. And uh, apparently, they both fell for this woman. And, and in my heart of hearts, I think it was Ronald Hurston. Oh my! Wow, that's cool. Yeah, that both of these <laughs> men saw her and heard her, and had never uh, been in the presence of such a sparkling, free spirit ever. And mm. uh, my mother said that it was that woman in that red, uh, <laughs> that that red red tilted hat, and. Uh, I, I think that my father and my uncle both fancy. They were both handsome, you know. Mm-hmm. I I don't remember a lot about my uncle Pat. I remember a picture of him, but my father was very handsome, and I think that uh, they just got a kick out of her her presence. And she's probably a great flirt. And my uncle Pat came around the morning that she left town, and he had a gun, and he wanted to kill my dad and my mother and my aunt because to this day they don't know really what happened hmm. but i think was either my father got to spend a little too a little more time with her than my uncle and at any rate my father um killed him first wow um, yeah it was just this blazing crazy battle between these two black men hmm. over something that was not spoken and uh Hmm. And my mother said, I think it had to do with that fancy city woman that got, because she got, Lorna Hurston got on a train the same mor- morning, and I guess all the women were a tad re- relieved that I'm saying Lorna Hurston, but this woman did, and left town, and then my uncle came over to kill my father. And my father apparently was was ready for him, you know, um, and uh, shot him first when he came up on the property, you know. Um, Mm. Yeah. Wow, that sounds like something out of Azura now, Harrison Tale. Yes, really, mm. really. So, Amazing. Yeah, so that's uh, that's my Zora Neil Hurston story, and I'm sticking <laughs> to it. <laughs> yeah, why not? Why yeah. not? So um, you are bringing the resurrection of She to San Francisco uh, at the end of this month. I believe it's the 28th. Yes. And it's going to be at Brava Theater for... Um, I don't know, is, is it a week or week? Two weeks. Two weeks, yeah, so people can go back and see it again. And there's a subtitle to, to this um, to this piece, The Resurrection of She, and the subtitle, The Rodessa Jones Story. It's like, oh, wow, it's the Rodessa Jones Story, like part one or what? Cause we, well, or part three you know, or four, because we've seen a lot of your stories. Well, uh, it's, a, <laughs> it's a return to some old material mm. and that I... I, I, I with my work in Africa mm. and my work in San Francisco with the Medea Project methodologies, uh, it has been an incredible uh, eye-opener the, looking at how, how the, the lives of South African women and the lives of uh, incarcerated women, uh, marginalized women, I guess I should say, in America are so alike. Mm-hmm. And uh, and on one level, I marvel at whatever has brought me to this place in time, where I can get I can mine stories from women. Women will share just about anything with me. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I I decided in making the resurrection of she that I was going to go back and examine my methodologies and could I do the same thing openly to mm-hmm. myself. Oh. To craft uh, my own journey, mm-hmm. you know, 
as a as a woman, as an artist, as an African American woman, as a mother, as a grandmother, mm-hmm. you know, could I chart my own course? And so that's what the resurrection of sheep basically is. It's like uh, looking at the way our lives are really like uh, uh, like an onion. You know, the, we keep peeling back layer after layer after layer. Mm-hmm. And how many times have you died? When did you die? You know, I mean, I had a baby at 16 by a boy that I, you know, I was so innocent. He said he loved me and uh, held my hand in the moonlight and sang uh, the Beatles, When I Get Older, Losing My Hair, When I'm, 65, when I'm 64. And, and then everything that happened out of that, that betrayal in a lot of ways. I mean, and then, of course, when I came up pregnant, it was my fault. You know, obviously I wasn't a nice girl. Mm-hmm. He turned into somebody I did not recognize. And how, and I had to move on. I had to live on. But you have to let go of who you were. And that is a death in itself, you know. Uh, and, um, and then he just died. Mm-hmm. He just uh, died at, uh, just after Christmas my daughter's father, mm-hmm. and that is another death. I went to his uh, memorial because my daughter is in Dubai, and uh, she said, Mom, I know you might not want to do this, but would you go? And I said, of course I would. You know, of course I'd go. And uh, in going, well, first of all, fast uh, rewind, I went to see him with my daughter and granddaughter in hospice before he died. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at him, and I realized that I did not know the man, the 60-some-year-old man who was ranting and raving in that bed. I knew the boy. Mm-hmm. And then I and I thought more about, well, what happened to the girl, myself? Mm-hmm. What happens to her? And I think that we can all agree that uh, every time you see a grandchild and you go back and you see that grandchild again, there's a new person there. Mm-hmm. You know, because I've never lived that close to my daughter and granddaughter. So every time I'd see my granddaughter, she'd be somebody else. Right. And they go on in time. You know, we all go on in time. So thus the resurrection. Uh, and the person that I have arrived to be that I really, I really love, I'm proud of, I respect, that is hopefully the crowning jewel of this performance. Hmm. It's who I who I present myself as at the end of the evening, you know, mm-hmm. Who, mm-hmm. who I have grown up to be. Ah. And it's back to women's lives and works. How do we bury dead dreams, you know, so that we can go on? How do we bury our dead and still go on? I mean, I have this running joke, which uh, I, I try out on people. I'll just say, well, you know, it's dying time. Hmm. It's dying time in America. It's dying time in my life, and people are like, oh, that's so morbid, but it's, the, I, I'm 64, and, uh, and I have become a part of that group, as my mother used to describe, the group that's, uh, that's coming from the cemetery, just having buried someone, and uh, arrive at the house to find that someone else has died, mm-hmm. and we must go back to the, to the cemetery. Mm-hmm. I'm one of those wailing women now. You know, when I was a child, uh, you know, I, I heard about it because we lived very openly, but it it didn't affect me the same way because youth, you're so resilient. 
and death doesn't make any sense yet, you know. And um, now it's like to have buried my mother and father. They're both gone, you mm-hmm. know. Um, to now to have married my daughter's father, you know, to uh, my uh, – I, I, I buried – well, I didn't bury him, but I watched him. He died and, and left me the love of my life, the man that I think pulled all of my womanism and my sexuality and my my sensuality together, my my witcher, my crafts, my witch's craft. You know, he was he loved my food. We used to have such a lovely time together, and I with him, I had arrived at this place where I don't have to be married. This is enough. Mm-hmm. This is enough. This man's love, this man's affection, and he was Mexican. You know, he was Mexican with no papers. Mm-hmm. You know, and then he died of bone cancer last mm. January. Oh, and, uh, like last us, year? Uh, yes. None oh. of us saw. Well, he died in San Diego, mm. but uh, all of a sudden, immigration was immigration was was uh, lying next to me in my bed the whole plight of it, and I think he died of really a broken heart and a broken spirit because hmm. he was such a good man, so sweet and elegant, and uh, but he had lived in this country for 25 years with no status, hmm. and he had raised a daughter, a very fabulous daughter, poet, mm-hmm. and he was so proud, and, uh, and he was the man that came for me and said, look, you know, are we going to make this something? You know, <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, I need to know what your intentions are. It was just so fabulous, mm-hmm. like you know, because uh, he said, "Cause I'm ready to go home now." This was a year or so before he died. Mm-hmm. He said, "You know, my kid's going to be okay. Uh, I can't live in this country like this anymore." And then I was teaching at the Art Institute about uh, five, six months ago, and a young a uh, Mexican woman said, you know, I was telling them a story, a story somewhat like I'm telling you, mm-hmm. and she said, well, you know, studies have shown that Mexican men, they die 20 years before their time. Mm-hmm. The ones who come here and try to try to make it right, they work harder than, my friend used to say, you know, Mexican people are maligned, he said, but, you know, we work harder than anybody. We work harder than the Bolivians. We work harder than the Colombians. We work harder than the Salvadorians. We work. We work because we like working, and it all makes sense being here. Because other than that, he says nobody wants to be in America. You know, there's just no money in our own country, and uh, and he loved Mexico. He taught me so much about the art, the culture of Mexico, and he would dream about us going there and hanging out and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he told me that I was his Khalifa. Oh, you know, nice. And, yeah, and he, <laughs> yeah, he talked about the, the black Amazons in Mexico, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and then he died, boom. Mm. Like, it was, it was, it caught everybody off guard. And oh. so I've had to, then, then, then I've got Mar- Aretha. I put on Aretha's song, you mm-hmm. know. I can't help it now that he's gone. I've got my own life. I've got to live on. You know, and again, the resurrection. Who is that woman now? You know, mm-hmm. um, going to my daughter's father's memorial after the big celebration in San Francisco, and I'm the the, the mayor's artist of the yeah. year. And mm-hmm. I go to this memorial service, and these people are like, now who are you again? You know, <laughs> <laughs> and I really felt like a, oh, my. Like a ghost. I just felt like a ghost. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's. You know, you know, when you're talking about, um, 
you know, these different selves and, and you know, and, and and dying, you know, to these different um, yous, you know, when that is time to move or step into another room. And I was just thinking about Ruth Brown, uh, the great artist who talked about um, when she was, you know, sort of getting up there in age that she was in God's waiting room. Wow. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I thought about that. And and then I was wondering, as you were talking about, um, you know, your grandchildren, your granddaughter, and how every time you see her, she's another person because you don't see her, that process of her getting older and growing. Mm-hmm. You just see her at these different stages. And I was wondering, um, uh, how many selves have you had to let go, and can you ever retrieve, like, can you, like, are they sort of like, you know how when you delete things, uh-huh. sometimes it says gone forever, but then we know there's no such thing as that for real yeah. um, online. But but it says that, so it means that I can't access it anymore. But when you when you move on, are you really moving on? Is the door, like, shut, locked, gone? Like, it's never, you can't, or can you actually go back and get some of those persons just in case you weren't really finished with her. <laughs> well, therein lies the performance material for this show. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I I uh, I don't know. I am I'm exploring and I am uh, uh, perusing to see. You know, I mm-hmm. think uh, I heard a poet say. Uh, she said. When you are downhearted and you're having a terrible day, remember when you were five. Try to revisit being five Mm -hmm. and how simple the world is, uh, supposedly. Now, I've lived and the work I've done has shown that a lot of five-year-old children are are already looking at you with ancient eyes. So, But uh, largely I think what she meant was that before life hurt, Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, I like nine in the show. I am uh, gathering stories of nine-year-old when we were nine. As a nine-year-old girl, I I read another article in Moore magazine, and I invite you to send me a story of, at, that happened, something that happened to you at nine as well. Okay. And uh, um, this writer is talking about um, her love of horses and how she had always dreamed that she would go to Uruguay and learn to ride uh, this, um, in a certain Spanish style. And she said for some reason it all came together for her at nine, hmm. that she knew that's what she wanted to do. And uh, as she had studied the lives of other women and have gathered stories about being nine, uh, she's come to this conclusion that at nine you're fully formed. Hmm. You know, I mean, you you know, you have your opinion, you have your your psychic, spiritual energy, and I remember with my dad, I just remember telling my father that I was going to be a great ballerina, mm-hmm. and I was going to have a pink jet, and I was going to uh, live in Russia, and I you know, and uh, and I can remember just being so clear about it all, mm-hmm. and I remember my father, he listened to me, he didn't tell me it wasn't going to happen. He said, is that right? And I said, yeah, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And and my, my dad would just be so engrossed, I think, in me. It's like, well, who is this? You know what I mean? And, and I was just so basking in my father's eyes. I was so sure of my nine-year-old self. 
mm-hmm. and where I was going. And now, of course, life knocks you over. And if you're not tended to and taken care of, if there's enough money to to uh, sort of protect you from the vestiges of the their world, of course, by the time nine more years, you're 18, and at 18, I had a two-year-old daughter. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so. I'm gathering these stories, and uh, uh, I'm working to to uh, 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 coagulate these stories so that every night I'll read a different one. Oh, seriously? Yeah, in the in the performance. Oh, so we have to come to all your performances to get it all. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my and goodness! Oh, it's wonderful, and I've gathered some stories by. Highly profiled people from my yoga class, mm. architects, uh, mm-hmm. so, uh, surgeons, um, mm. and there this and there are these stories that largely are secrets. Mm. You see, mm-hmm. they're you know things that have happened to people that they never spoke about. Ah. Which for me again is the very very um, heart of the Medea project. Yeah, is that it is where we have to lay it down. Lay it down. It's not your business anymore. It's somebody else's dirty garbage. Mm, so you mm-hmm. can move on, you know, um, to answer your question about can we retrieve certain things. I think certain things we don't want to. I think that they, we're so angry. We get mm-hmm. so angry uh, at the world that we will, we will, we're like a mad woman in a dank, dark place who sits there tearing apart. The, tearing apart the fabric of her life because it feels real, you know. So much stuff will have happened that mm-hmm. it feels real. That this is why I live. This is who I am. Get over it, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, and the only person that we're hurting is ourselves. Mm-hmm. And in my family, there's uh, several women that I have that their lives were like that with alcohol, with with. Um, just this, this this inability to face the future. So uh, one of my relatives just kind of lives in this rarefied, wide-eyed air of uh, make-believe, and she's like in her late 60s too. Mm-hmm. And I and I and growing up, I saw these women, and there was something in me that said, "No, I'm not going out like that. I'm not. I rather I would rather be the first one to let the world know that this happened to me, mm-hmm. that this hurt me." Because I learned early that I wasn't alone. We're back to the nine-year-old stories. There are women. Nobody's ever asked them anything about anything, mm-hmm. you know. And then here comes Rodessa Jones, a big broad smile, uh, talking about my work. And then in light of the award ceremony, a lot of people who thought they knew me had no idea about the work I did. So. Oh, really. Yeah, yeah, there's a oh. lot of people that, you know, I just... You're I, famous. I don't know how anyone could not know. Well, you know, I see huh. um, amongst my people, my dear. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're such a celebrity and like, you know, like a, in a great way, you know? Yeah, and uh, I, had a, I had a sister tell me, it was about three years ago at a Christmas party um, uh, at um, Renee Walker's house, my, um, one of my costume designers, and mm-hmm. this lady just found me and, and kind of cornered me and thanked me for never leaving, mm-hmm. never leaving uh, us. She said, thank you for never leaving us. For, you could have gone to Hollywood, she mm-hmm. said. 
you're pretty enough to be this, you're pretty enough to be that, but you decided to stay here and be with us, work with us, which was so moving. It was mm-hmm. very profound. I'm like, oh, my God, show me the door. I'd still like to try for Hollywood. <laughs> but the work has been so rich. Mm-hmm. I work with women. Uh, my um, The gift of uh, my own production company, Idris Sakamore, where I can make my work, mm-hmm. it belongs to me. You know, I mean, I tried offhandedly to 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 do the pilot season in Los Angeles and all this kind of stuff, but no, I just uh, you know, it's it wasn't as interesting as my own story and the stories of women around me. You know, mm-hmm. the stories that nobody was telling or talking about, and uh, the rewards have been nice. You know that, uh, uh, and it's and it's meaningful work. You know. I mean, I would love to. I would love to be driving a Duesenberg now. I mean, that's one of my, you know, and having a beautiful house in the Caribbean, mm-hmm. and maybe something it won't be as big and lavish as my fantasies. But at any rate, I, I, that's probably coming as well. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if I was to drop in this spot, that I've done some good work, and even as you say, you're famous. You know, it's. Um, for whatever that means, I uh, I have people at my gym. And they'll say, well, uh, "Well, do you do autographs?" And I say, "Well, not really." I said, "You know, I don't really do autographs, and I I do autographs for young people who might think they know me." But mm-hmm. and this lady was a little missed. She walked off just a little missed that I <laughs> would sign the newspaper article, and it was just like, you know, it just kind of caught me off guard. Like, no, you know, I'm not I'm not going to burden that either. That Oh, look at me. But then again, the other side of it is that reading the AARP magazine, it says, you know, start collecting signatures uh, from people before they're famous. So mm-hmm. maybe I didn't do the lady a service to <laughs> maybe saying, no, I didn't I didn't help her investment, future investments or whatever. But, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about, uh, I've got a couple of things I was writing as you were talking and um, wrote down some words like audacity and authenticity and uh, inheritance and legacy and then choices Um, and then I was looking at just juxtaposing the Medea Project Theater for Incarcerated Women and then Medea the character that you know that woman was locked up Mm -hmm. you know Um, and um, and then you know through through the work that you do with your company uh, the Medea Project which is um, one of the programs of you know culture odyssey you free you free people and you do it through myth making and you know sort of remaking or re you know sort of retelling these stories that are a part of our our psyche as as human beings mm-hmm. yeah and trying to stamp out shame and mm-hmm. stigma mm-hmm. you know because it is uh any way you look at it uh if you can get up off the floor and wash your wounds you're standing mm-hmm. and it's a great life you know, it's a, and I'm not talking in terms of how many dresses you own, or, or how even how how rich the man is that you have, or the woman is that you have, but that you you've lived to look back at the journey. You know, and mm-hmm. uh, I think for younger people, they need that. They need somebody to say, look, you know, you'll get through this. You know, I mean, it's uh, Sean Reynolds who. Um, um, she was one of the first people to utter to me, uh, you know, when my mom died. She says, well, you know, you cry because there's, there's nothing else to do. 
then you got to stop crying, and then what are you going to do? And uh, I think that uh, that's in part is what I'm saying. And then I saw this group in L.A. many years ago, a woman's group, and they had this wonderful moment in the show. It was a physical sound and movement thing, but it was like, if I fall, will you catch me? Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's been very much a part of my own work, you know, trying to retrieve sisters who are worth saving, you know, and also they need to know that they have a right to a life, that a life is not for special people. All mm-hmm. of us came here with reason, you know, with mm-hmm. reason and intention, you know, um, sometimes for, you know, um, uh, sometimes for maybe five years. Sometimes for a hundred years, I have uh, very, very uh, wealthy uh, friends who are were hippies with me, and we all read Edgar Casey, and uh, and uh, you know we all studied Seth, and we we Grajeev, and and uh, they they grew up to um, either marry into lots of money or make lots of money, and now they're saying they're going to live to be one, two hundred years old. Mm-hmm. You know, which I don't necessarily know if I want to be around that long because I like physically being able to move about, and um, and we don't really we don't know what to do with the aged and the elderly in our culture, and that 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 unsettles me. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if I want to be around to to have to face that stuff. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Safety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was wondering. Um, have a couple of more questions. I was just remembering how wonderful you were as curator of the San Francisco International Art Festival. Um, what year was that? And you just had all this great art from the Pan African diaspora. Oh, 2005. Okay, that was a wonderful, was. wonderful and showcase. So, and mm-hmm. God bless Andrew Wood. Mm-hmm. Who yeah, Andrew's wonderful. Sent me. He mm-hmm. sent me to to Bali to to Mali and yeah. Morocco. Mhm. Yeah, and you talk about, you know, you know, the young people and the older people and yeah, and the art and just the landscape and the people that you met. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, people make up everything, mm-hmm. you know. If the people aren't there, it doesn't <laughs> matter, matter. I mean, I I found this out for true about Hawaii. Mm. Hawaii is pretty. But uh, there's areas of it that's just been manicured to death, mm. and uh, and the people can be a tad soulless, you know. And uh, and this was on my own account, and it was very disappointing to me, you mm. know. Mm-hmm. Um, or race matters where people don't want to be Hawaiian people. Some of them don't want to be confused with being black, and that mm-hmm. hit hit me. That kind of hit me hard when I was I was there for the first time, wandering around that paradise, and mm-hmm. came upon a couple of instances where uh, some white person, ticket taker, gatekeeper, assumed that I was with whomever was in front of me or whatever, and just watching the brown people and their response to no, she's no, no, I'm Hawaiian. I remember one one woman and her daughter, we're Hawaiian, and uh, which meant. We're not black, you know. So it's like, you know, and, uh, and I go to Jamaica, mm-hmm. and I still can find pockets of uh, musical humanity. And uh, the people are being kind of starved out uh, of, of their freedoms, and that everything is being sold by the government. But you know, God bless the music of Marley and uh, reggae, and people that look like me, and 
when they got a moment to be free, you know, mm-hmm. uh, when they can come up out of their strife and stress. It's such a lovely place to be, you know, mm-hmm. with that backdrop of the ocean and all that stuff going on, you know. Of course, yeah, as a man, you have to say, look, I, I'm not the one. I'm not in the market for a Jamaican boyfriend or did that a long time ago and, excuse me, coming through. <laughs> but um, <laughs> largely uh, it's wonderful, a glass of rum, a hit of ganja in the ocean. Uh, I'm, I'm there. <laughs> yeah, it was really interesting. Um, you know, these places that don't want to honor their African heritage. Um, I mean, you know, Hawaii. You know, I mean, yeah. their their last queen was black, straight up. I mean, the sister looks like a sister. Yeah. <laughs> and then you think about Mexico. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we're all over Mexico, and the last governor was black. Mm-hmm. So it's like. I mean, you know, like we should be uniting, not separating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's so much. Uh, uh, one of the women in the Medea Project, Angie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was, Angie. One mm-hmm. of the reasons I fell in love with Angie was that she came. She came into the process when when the uh, Rockefeller Foundation had funded Cultural Odyssey to go into the jails mm. and explore uh, race, culture, and religion. Mm. And. Uh, so here's this little white girl from Idaho who, one, can say, the first black person I met, I was 12 years old when I first met a black person. Hmm. And then the whole question of if that was a pill to take that would make you any other race, would black be a choice? And she said, well, only if I could take it for a, a shorter period of time. And, of course, people are like, well, you know, people are getting very upset. Well, you know, later for you and I. And I said, no, 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 let her finish. She said, she said, look around you. The world is so hard on black people. She said black people can dance, black people cook, black people are funny. It's a lot of fun, but the, but the world can be so hard on people of African descent, I think is what she meant. Mm-hmm. And here she was, a little blonde girl from Idaho, you know, and um, – and anyway, I just thought it was an incredibly astute observation to make, you know, mm-hmm. that you're absolutely right. So wherever I go, I still try to work to to create a bond with all of us, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. with, with everybody. Uh, last night on the plane coming home, mm-hmm. I'm talking to a gentleman who was from um, a white man. I think he was, well, he was from Marin. Oh, okay. He had just come back with his son who was, uh, uh, he had taken his son to visit uh Brown and another college there, and we're chatting it up in the back. I think he just really enjoyed me being so open and funny, you know, because by the time he got back there, I was looking at the two bathrooms, and it seemed like people had been in the bathrooms forever. (laughs) I said, I'm just watching the doors, and he thought that was hysterically funny. (laughs) And we start talking, Uh, up comes this white lady, and uh, he, uh, uh, I said to her, I said, well, you know, I'm watching the doors, and he's, and we're celebrating our children and our parenting. And she looked at me and she said, well, I was, I, when I walked back, I saw you. I thought you'd be back here cooking us something good to eat. What? Yes. I said, I'm not quick enough then. It's like, huh? He looked at her like, what are you talking about? And she thought she was being, uh, she thought she was being a part of the conversation. You know, uh, if I had been as quick as my friend Sean had cussed out and called her several different kinds of bees and, uh, you know, and uh, and, and invited her to my backside, she probably would have went running back to her seat crying and saying that why are black people so hostile, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's so question when you're in the wrong, when, mm-hmm. when, when some white folks come up and get off your face and they're totally off, off the chain, you tell them 
then you are hostile. But it was just like, was stunned. I was stunned. Like, what? Mm-hmm. And she totally meant it. Mm-hmm. And she thought she was paying me some compliment, I think. You know, I mean, it was just really odd. <laughs> no. That's very odd. Yeah. And, uh, and at the same time, the big... Uh, the big, big white, red, red uh, stewardess came back, and she, she's, and, and, I, and the guy's saying, "We've been waiting for bathrooms," and she says, "I don't think there's anybody in this one." And he and I've been back, been back there talking, and apparently, whoever left had not like uh, left the door open, or mm-hmm. you know, and it was just like more uh, irresponsibility and inhumanity and a lack of connection with each other, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's this lady standing there, you know, uh, hoping I'm gonna, hoping that I'm gonna entertain her now. And I just, the guy said, "No, you go first, He said to me, and I just went right into the bathroom and back to my seat. It was like, you know, just, uh, just this, this kind of ignorance. It's just like ignorance, boldness, you know, and, um, uh, you know, at the same time, it's, it's it, all you can do is hope that somebody will relieve her of some of that stupidity. You know, it's like, uh, but it. But it wasn't me last night. I was just like, what the hell? Yeah. yeah, well, hopefully she will see your picture in a newspaper mm-hmm. and come to see the resurrection of she and like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm reaching out to everybody. I want everybody who thinks they know me to please come out, you know, uh, and uh, and and see my latest work. Mm-hmm. And also... Um, you know, it's uh, time and as long as it has been. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, just um, I, I wonder sometimes, Rodessa, my work can be so prophetic. What am I really saying? Can I say <laughs> bye? <laughs> oh, heck no. Uh-uh. No, you're not saying goodbye. <laughs> no, uh-uh, not at all. I remember that um, the cabaret-style um, piece you did where it was all red and was all hot flashes. That was oh, so... yes. Oh, yeah, that was, that's one of my favorite pieces in the whole world. <laughs> that was really fun. And, uh, and I want to mention, um, I know you brought your crown back from South Africa, and uh, Mary McCabe's birthday just passed on the 4th, which was yesterday. And that's my baby sister's birthday. Oh. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she would have been 81. Oh, my God, what a goddess, you know. Mm -hmm. What a goddess. I mean, it's like an whole idea to die in the midst of performance. Mm Mm-hmm. What a way to go. Oh, yeah. Her her musician says she walked off stage. Mm Mm-hmm. And she wasn't ready. It wasn't time. They hadn't gotten through all the songs. But she kind of walked off stage and apparently collapsed. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And, but what a way to go with the audience still calling and screaming for you. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that 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 sound following you in your ascension. Mm. Oh, that is awesome. Yeah, that's you know, and it, 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 when I hear that story from people, it's just amazing. As well as getting my first crown in the marketplace and. Mm-hmm. And, you know, me and I'm, I'm Curious George, you know, so I'm looking at all these beautiful <laughs> African women in these gorgeous, strange hats, these headpieces, and I'm asking, what what's going on? What is this? Mm-hmm. And they told me, they said, Mama Africa has offended. 
And uh, and of course, I love the idea that uh, Mary Makeba was Mother Africa. That was her name with everybody. Mm-hmm. And they said, uh, "You must have one." And so they gave me my first one. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I and that's my that's the one that I'm wearing on my Facebook with George with uh, Bill Clinton. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, and you know, and I saw Winnie Mandela mm-hmm. when I was in. Uh, Soweto, uh, oh. who, uh, two or three trips back. Mm-hmm. That was another queen. Yes, so, she is. Yeah, I asked this, uh, my guide was taking me to the radio station for, television station in Soweto for an interview. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I said, I know Winnie Mandela has a, a tea house around here. And he said, oh, yes. I said, you think we'll see her? He said, well, you never know. So we're walking down to get some coffee before the interview. And uh, there she is, mm. and this huge black BMW, mm-hmm. huge car. And there's two very large, handsome black men outside the car, and she's sitting in the back seat on her cell phone. And uh, but this light, you know, the light is just uh, emanating from her. It was amazing. Mm. And uh, I just stood there, and she looked up and looked at me, and I looked at her, and I just, like, saluted her, and mm-hmm. she nodded her head, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And I wrote to my my late sister-in-law, Linda, I said, well, you know, I still think, how do you salute a queen? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you, how, what do you say when it's, a, when it's just, I mean, she's still so beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, she's just beautiful. But thank you for reminding me of these moments, because i got to pull up that, that piece, because I like to. Just call upon Winnie Mandela. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, nice. Yeah, and so my last last question and comment is: if you could um, uh, talk about uh, the poetry of your life and and how art, um, you know, sort of keeps us human. Mm. Well, I think it all begins with love. Mm. Mm-hmm. And love is this love is its own reward. You know, it's uh if you love the universe will love you back. Now don't be blindly and stupidly given over all of your goods to whomever comes along, but keep an open heart and an open mind and at the same time as my brother Bill Bill T. Jones uh, often um reminds me of the world of ideas. What can you do with love? What What is another way to approach love? You know, and that's what we artists are privy to. Taking ideas and wrapping them around old forms, you know, and, and, and the idea of love, it softens everybody. It keeps us all human, you know. Um, and I think woman as well. Uh, my trainer, Charles, who was from Marseille, Charles told me years ago, I haven't seen him in a while, he said, he said, I never could understand why a man would want to lay his hands on a woman in an abusive, violent way, because he said, look at a woman. A woman is shaped like a heart. Hmm. You know, he hmm. said that, that on some some level, you look at the body of a woman versus the body of a man. And it's right down to our sexual center it doesn't hang out you know it's it's uh it's almost as though 
the uh, the line drawing ends there in the heart. Hmm. And he says that women are all shaped like hearts. Wow. And uh, I try to, as an artist, I try to reenter old conversations, old ideas, but with the idea of pulling in uh, a, another way of looking at it. And I've been lucky that people will go with me. Mm-hmm. But I think it's because people want to believe in something. You know, I, right now I'm struggling with costume because I feel like I've got to be fabulous. Mm, people of yes. will come to see Rodessa be fabulous. Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, <laughs> or naked, which I'm not doing anymore. But I used to be gloriously naked back in the back in the early days. You know, ferociously <laughs> naked. You know, when I did uh, my early stuff, I was an artist's model. Mm-hmm. And I remember an, uh, the art teacher at San Jose State saying to his group when I was very young, I was modeling, he said, if you can't draw this body, you should put down your pencils and your papers and your paints. <laughs> this body this body is a direct descendant of God and all of God's mercy and glory and beauty. And I remember that thinking. I was all embarrassed, like, oh, my God. <laughs> but but um, it, it was a blessing for me. You know? mm-hmm. And my mother used to say, uh, on a note just about this art making, my mother said when she finally saw a piece of my performance, and I was at Berkeley, and my mother had often looked at me, but then as mothers and daughters and sons, my brother Bill is such a bright light, you know, my mother had not, my mother sort of knew I was doing something over there. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, she came to see, I did a, mm. I did a performance for um, Sex and Gender, Sex, uh, culture, and gender at Berkeley. I think it was, uh, I can't remember, was it uh, Opal or uh, Disa? It was one of her classes. Uh And my mom came back, so I did a piece about generations, the four generations of women in my family, the blue stories. Mm. And I did it, my mother was there in the audience, and she, and I was very nervous. Because I I'm always spilling I'm always spilling family secrets and opening closets and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh my gosh, she's not coming back. Oh my, she's mad. Blah 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 blah. But she finally came back, and everybody had gone, and I was um, putting my make makeup away. And she came back, and she had to. She stood there in the doorway, and I remember her wonderful hands. She she had these amazingly beautiful hands, and they were so powerful. She just stood there and looked at me, and she said. Now I know what you do. Mm-hmm. You tell your story as a way to lift the people up. And uh, that was my mother's blessing, and I passed that on That, in the name of art and uh, saving the, the human family. I think it's about sharing stories. I tell you my story. I'll tell you my story if you can tell me yours. And, mm-hmm. You know, and once you hear somebody's story, you definitely can't help but see them differently. So that's uh, what I do in the name of saving the the tribe. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, thank you for all that you do. And, gosh, the resurrection of She is going to be so phenomenal. Um, March 28th through April 7th, and I was looking at the dates, and um, it passes through the season of... um, of, I'm trying to think. um, I'm trying to think. uh, What's it called? Um, the season of peace, you know, that starts in January and it goes through Martin King's uh, assassination and it travels through Gandhi's life, Kennedy's life, mm. Malcolm's life, and mm. uh, and then so it's like three days past it. And from what you say, we we definitely need to catch you more than once, so yeah. people shouldn't wait till the last week. 
and you know the last days of the last week because you probably be selling out because Bravo's not huge. <laughs> also, you know what happens to me all the time is somebody will say, you know, I I saw that show and I I really wanted to come back again or I wanted to ask you like what you meant, you know, and uh, and depending on how I feel or how the, the audience feels, I may have a uh, a few talkbacks. Oh wow, that'd be so great. Yeah. yeah, so you so there's the element of 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 surprise there too. I mean, we we might get more than just sitting in the audience. We'll be able to like talk to you and afterwards see you walk out of the dressing room and get your autograph and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all those things may very well happen. And uh, at the same time, the part of the resurrection is that I really want to be able to say no. Right. Yes, you know, of course. It's like good night. Uh, like Captain Hepburn <laughs> said, some lady asked for an autograph. Captain Hepburn, who's one of my heroes, mm-hmm. Captain Hepburn. Uh, this woman said, uh, Captain Hepburn said, Oh no, no, no. I'm uh, no. I'm really tired. And this lady said, Well, we made you who you are. And she said, Like hell, you did. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll end on that note. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Rodessa. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like, thank you. Thank you for the wonderful conversation. I look forward to seeing you um, in the resurrection of she. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a great. The evening. Um, there will be. Everything you do is great. Thank you. <laughs> All right. You take good care. Okay. Bye-bye. And that was the phenomenal Regessa Jones. And I am having in uploading the tribute to Toni Morrison, but I am going to play um, an interview with the director of Toni Morrison Pieces That I Am, uh, which you will really enjoy. Uh, what did I I'm trying to think? That was before she passed in 2000, August 2019. Um, and it's, it's a great interview. It's a great film. If you haven't seen it already, you definitely want to put that on your list. I wanted to make an announcement about a uh, really important gathering. Uh, men are invited but they won't be able to to give um, to talk or or participate in the chat, but they can can attend. And the um, this uh, gathering, which is uh, on on Saturday, June fifth, it looks at uh, a recent law passed to sort of really sort of disrupt and change um, sexual identity um, and and how rights are allotted based on the way one was born as a male or a female. And the flyer says, attention black women, our lives matter, an event for lesbian, hetero, and bisexual women. And again, it's June 5th, and uh, the event is taking place uh, 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific time, and um, and the reading, not the reading. What it says on the flyer is to visit Women's Human Rights Campaign uh, to learn more and sign the declaration. And after you sign the declaration at womensdeclaration.com forward slash en forward slash, then you can sign up to get information about the meetings which happen on Saturday and you can find out how to register. Um, This is a safe space for black women to connect with other black women and share her her concerns or share their concerns. And again, 
um, men can come to the general meeting. And at that particular meeting, uh, there'll be presentations this weekend by Yeye Louisa Tish, who is an elder, uh, Iyanifa of the Ifa Orisha tradition of the African diaspora. She's author of Jambalaya, The Natural Woman's Book of Personal Charms and Practical Rituals. And she's going to address the issues of rainbow flag imperialism, human trafficking, sexual slavery, and the misinterpretation of black culture leading to further division among black people. And Dr. Suzanne Forbes-Verling served as university president and vice president of academic affairs, overseeing colleges of behavioral science, business, education, and undergraduate studies. Her career encompassed all levels of organizational leadership and management, including international health and human service advisor. With 25 years of leadership in higher education, mental health, forensic science, foster care, child welfare, international consultation, and community organizing, she will address the racist undertones of this new arm of white supremacy under patriarchy called gender identity. And uh, the questions um, to sort of see if you are going to, if you need, you would be one of the people that will be interested in coming, uh, that you can consider are, has your job been threatened because you used the wrong pronoun? Are you concerned about the thousands of missing black women or sex trafficking in your community and or internationally? Who has taken the right to label you a cis, rename your body parts, invade your space, and violate your religious and human rights? Do you know that school administrators have been empowered to medicalize your child even without your consent? How can you protect your children from pedophiles, medical experimentation, and violence? Are you concerned about the violence suffered by our women in prison from male-bodied people, many of them rapists, placed in cells with them? Do you know who finances gender identity, the gender, gender identity movement? So this presentation, again, is occurring in the main um, uh, WHRC webinar with two other speakers after which black women will gather in a breakout room for black women only to discuss the creation of a committee to uphold sex-based rights of black women. So this is a really important gathering, June 5th, 2021. Uh, 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time. And again, you need to go to women's, plural, declaration, well, women's possessive, <laughs> but no apostrophe, declaration.com forward slash en forward slash to get information on how to join the meeting. I just wanted to let you know about that. And uh, now I am going to, I think I'm going to start with, um, Toni Morrison speaking about her world as a black world, and uh, and then we will uh, start the interview. My world is a black world. She was doing something that a lot of black writers who had come up in the 70s weren't doing, which was to write about the stories without having to talk about excising whiteness and she didn't do it in a way that was about saying that the white world was wrong the white world was just peripheral if it existed at all I didn't want to speak for black people 
I want to speak to and to be among it's us. So the first thing I had to do was to eliminate the white gaze. Jimmy Baldwin used to talk about that. The little white man that sits on your shoulder <laughs> and checks out everything you do and say. So it doesn't knock him off. And, you know, you're free. Now I own the world. I mean, I can write about anything to anyone, for anyone. I don't have to have this white judgmental eye checking me, editing me, approving of me. Right, approving of me. And um, there was another announcement I want to make. Um, There's a panel. Oh, I think you missed it. Uh, yeah. Did miss it. Oh, well. Darn. There was a panel on Miles Davis yesterday. Um, not yesterday, excuse me, Monday. Missed it. <laughs> so here is the interview with Timothy Green, Bill Sanders, uh, director of Tony Morrison, uh, Pieces That I Am. Hey, Timothy, how are you? I'm good. I think I was supposed to call you uh, right around now. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, I was um, looking for a place in my apartment that was quiet. <laughs> I, I know <noticed laughs> that they're, they're doing some work upstairs. It's like, oh, no, this is not good. They didn't check with me first. Oh, man, your film is so marvelous. Oh, my goodness. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah, you. it is. it's such a tribute, long overdue to this fabulous woman. Long overdue. I agree with you. And I'm yeah. so happy that, wow, it took you 40 years, right? <laughs> I mean, like, really? Yeah, 38. I mean, I met Tony in 1981. Yeah. I know, I know. I'm rounding yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah this is the 38th year. Mm-hmm. That's right. Amazing, right? Yeah, uh, totally amazing. And and I was just thinking as I was reading this really marvelous um, interview, um, in the press package that, um, I don't know, like, were you put on this planet to do this? Because, I mean, the way that, um, you know, it's sort of like, you know, how you met her and, and, and you know, it, in the studio and you did such a great job on capturing her image and, you know, for people of African descent, you know, that spiritual thing around spirit living right, in image. Right. And for you to be able to like, so I'm thinking, wow, and all and all those different various shots. That's your work. That's your skills. It's uh, Tony calls it strange things. Ah. Sometimes they sometimes they happen. <laughs> strange things that are unexplained. I guess maybe I was put here to do this film. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It's just it's just remarkable. And then I was wondering. I mean, her. You know, the way you, you tell this great story, and, you know, and I'm wondering about the title because there are so many aspects of her life that you could have zeroed in on, you know, like, but but this is the story that you all tell. Well, the, you know, the title is a line from Beloved, mm-hmm. and we were searching really for a subtitle, um, and when I saw that, it was it, it, all came together kind of perfectly because it it it, it relates to Nicolene Thomas's wonderful opening, 
where the pieces of Tony come together. It relates to the way Tony writes in that she is, you know, and it comes in, it's not linear. She comes from many different directions and it, it, it also relates to the concept of the film, which is that these are the pieces of Toni Morrison, the mother, the single mother, the, the editor, you know, the, the teacher, and, of course, the great writer, the Nobel winner. Right. That's so true. You know, I think I'm going to have to go sit in my car. Um, <laughs> yeah. Can, can, I can um, hear you perfectly, by the, oh, by the way. You sound oh, perfect, yeah. Oh, can you? Oh, I do? Oh, super, super. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. Because they're they're hammering upstairs. I don't know. Uh, the... I'm not hearing. I'm not hearing any of that. You've got oh. Noise canceling something or other. It's working. Oh. Right. Oh. Cool. Cool. Okay. Super. Well then, um, I'll stay here then. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> so I was just sort of like, um, sort of jotting down questions. I, I don't know. It was as I was watching the film, um, last week. I, um. I just took so many notes. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and well, it's, it's, you know, it's a really uh, dense film in that sense. Mm-hmm. There's so much to think about. You know, we we um, kind of lull you in because Tony ha- is so lo- loving, really, in the film. You know, you love her, mm-hmm. and I think that once you start to watch it, all of a sudden, there's so many things to think about. Right. Yes, there are. There are. Um, I was wondering if you could uh, tell me about, you know, the tour, Toni Morrison that you know, and um, and what pieces of her didn't make it into the film because, you know, we. I just love the the uh, uh, learning about her family and and their moving. You know, have her mother, you know, having to pick up the girls and and move. You know, to Ohio, right? Uh, this right. Her, grand, her grandmother, yeah. Her grandmother, yeah. right, right, yeah. yeah. And then her father sounds so powerful, like, oh my goodness, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those yeah. stories are like such so riveting, yeah. You know, she she wonderfully kind of contrasts her parents in a very vivid sense of their personalities. Mm-hmm. You know, I think in the film she says, "My mother took." looked at each person as an individual and she she didn't look at color or anything she just looked at them as like you know she, who they were and if they were a good person or not really and her father was very very strident and different you know but for good reason i mean he had come from some you know place of horror and seen terrible things right right so definitely and then i wonder if because her father was such a strong presence in her life and and i you know i love the part you know where um you know she she talks about or you narrate how um what happened when her father passed and 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 that effect on her life i was wondering um it's not stated but i wonder if this is why she was able to function in such a male-dominated um uh you know, it's a movie. Yeah, it's a very interesting point you bring up, and I. It doesn't. You know, it's not specified in the film, but I know from knowing her and from hearing her talk that her father was a tremendous influence on her, and mm-hmm. also he believed in her. Mm-hmm. And I think from a very, very early age, her father 
uh, adored her, you know, and realized how brilliant she was. I think this was a man who really knew, you know, you kind of know which when your children are special in some way that they're exceptional. I think he knew she was exceptional. Uh, and, and I think that probably stayed with her her whole life, that this strength that she got early on from him. Right, right, yeah. Um, you're... I'm happy you brought that up. Thank you. Uh, sure, sure. Yeah, because, I mean, here's this woman smoking a pipe, and she's the only woman, and all these men, and 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 some people might be like, "Whoa, all these powerful white men, you know, aren't you like lucky?" And it was like, "No, they're lucky to have me." <laughs> yeah, I was more interesting than they were, she says. Right, right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and she just really holds her own and and claims her space and doesn't right. compromise. I mean, I love it, you know that. She was not about to take less pay, you know, for the same right. job. Well, I think all, all of the lessons that we try and teach today mm-hmm. for women and for people to kind of have their own uh, confidence where they are and to believe in themselves. She was doing. She was a pioneer. Mm-hmm. She was doing that when it was really hard. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, as a single mother of two, you know, yeah, two yeah. two black two black boys. That's like, wow, yeah. wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um how um I I know you've been asked this question, so I'm gonna let you, you say you answer it um uh, again. I, I was thinking about um um how how you um you frame um you know, your subjects um you know, with your camera, um, both your steel camera yeah. and your um uh and your your other your other lens. Um film camera, the yeah. Film camera, yeah. right, right, exactly. Yeah. And it's real intentional, um, you know, the way you shoot. And I was thinking about the um uh the photographer whose whose name escapes me right now, who um who did the portraits in I Dream a World uh camera uh, calendar I, I know the i know yes i know the i know the book yes yeah yeah, yeah. and and yeah. he and he said when he was um when the when he was uh on tour with the exhibit and the calendar um at the Oakland Museum you know that he um you know he had his subjects he was looking up to them you know um mm-hmm. uh as opposed to down and and mm-hmm. um and and your your camera is really intentional as well and um and and i think um there's also a philosophical intent that comes through in the way you shoot um both um morrison as well as you know the people that are um you know speaking about her and i wonder if you could talk about about positioning and and mm-hmm. and how that and also around sort of like power dynamics within well mm-hmm. yeah you know on the I'm a kind of hyphenate. I'm a photographer and a filmmaker, yes. and my photography is distinctive. I have a look that is really a simple backdrop and one light and, uh, and a direct-to-camera gaze. And, you know, that is all purposeful because what I'm trying to do is focus on the person, not on my fancy lighting or not on some environment that they're in. But I'm trying to say, look at the, look at this person here. And, and, and look into his or her eyes. That's, that's kind of my intention. 
And I translate that look into film so that when you're looking at these interviews, you're getting the, the kind of the beauty of my portrait lighting, but you're really focusing on that person. And what I, what I tried to do in this film was that you notice Tony is the only one who's talking directly to camera. The others are talking off camera. They're, they're talking about her, but she's talking to us. And that was uh, very, very conscious on my part. It was something I've never seen in the documentary where you combine those two. You either decide one way or the other, but you don't do both. But I felt that by letting Tony be the only one talking to camera, it also gives her agency and it makes it so it's Tony's story. She's the one looking at us. It, it, it becomes overwhelmingly clear that she's telling the story. Right. Yeah, yeah, it is really clear. It, you know, it looks, the whole work looks like she is directing it. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, which as a white male director, I'm very conscious of, you know, with my white gaze and how I, you know, I surrounded myself with people who were, able to kind of bring voices to the pr production, to the film, and at the same time, it you know, making sure that by shooting it the way I did, Tony is really telling her story. Mm hmm Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you, um, uh, you write, um, and you talk about, um, your, um, your film series on identity, the black list, the Latino right, list, right. the trans list. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I was just wondering how, like, this film is like a culmination of that move and, you know, that, that series. And, like, what could be after this? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, gosh, at the moment, I'm not even thinking about what what to do next. But when you look at this film and you see the 12 people in it, yeah, I mean, they all deserve. They, all those other people deserve documentaries. Sonia Sanchez, my goodness, you know, mm, what a story mm. that is. And and Walter Mosley and, and Angela Davis and you know Farron Griffin. All these people are remarkable. So you know, there's a, there's there's so many great stories out there to tell, but. The Tony one was very personal to me because she's been such an influence on all of our lives, but on my life in particular. She, you know, she was the one that got the blacklist idea. Uh, she really it morphed from an idea that she had. So uh, you know, I give her credit for for that whole series. Really, it was based on an idea that Tony had. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I. I could kind of imagine um, just what it was like, you know, for you to do all of your setup and like having no assistance, you know, at this first right, right. first shoot. I'm like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, you know, it, it's funny. Someone said to me recently, they said, "Do you remember, you know, what she was like back then?" Because it's it's you know a hell of a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, I said thinking about it, and I said, I remember how confident she was. As a person, and that when you're a photographer, you're looking at the subject, you're trying to read the subject and feel like, is this person nervous? Do I make need to make him or her feel better? What do I need to do to uh, to to get trust from the subject? 
Mm-hmm. And I remember with Tony, she she walked in smoking a pipe. She was confident. She was, you know, she was clearly like, here we are, let's do it. You know, it was it was very uh, it was remarkable. I remember that very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, one other aspect, there's so many, um, is the art. Oh my gosh, like oh my all God, the beautiful yeah. art. Yeah. You're like, okay, so. Yeah. I mean, it's just amazing, and I and then I just think about you know, like I recognize you know Charles White, right. Carol Walker, right. Carrie James Marshall, Jacob Lawrence. I'm like, right. and Jacob Lawrence is like, you know, the migration series when her family's moving. I'm like, wow, this yeah. is so great. The illustration, like, yeah. let the artist yeah. illustrate this 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 story. Well, I never it's just so beautiful. Before. You know, I've never seen it in a film. Ah, it's I, I always thought like why aren't we cutting to painting sometimes mm-hmm. it only mm-hmm. cut to a photo right and and i think that when you that what we did here was so special because it brought 20 something african-american artists work into the film which was a which was wonderful but it also excuse me it also was about a feeling that these images give not just illustration but they were giving you a mood and an understanding of what was being said so when we when Sarah Griffin is saying you know there's a whole world out there that white people don't even know about and we cut to the Carrie James Marshall pastimes painting what could be a better image you know than that that painting it's just a flawless piece of filmmaking in my if I do say so myself <laughs> yes <laughs> Micheline Thomas, um, uh, the collage, um, but yeah, just tell me about well, Micheline Thomas in general. Yeah. And yeah, well, Micheline Thomas is a very, very important contemporary artist, and I was, I, she's one of the, one of the artists I did not know personally, and I pulled an Oprah, you know, I just found her phone number somehow, and I called her, <laughs> and uh, I explained what we were doing, and she said, "I'm in." You know, that quickly. And I think that was the reaction of almost everyone I reached out to. Um, really, it was everyone felt that way about Tony. And and Micheline is is known for her collage work. So I thought there was a way for her to do some kind of piece for the opening based on my photographs. And we gave her, oh gosh, you know, hundreds of images to play with. And all, every photo I'd taken of Tony and just said, you know, go to town on this 
four months later, <laughs> we were about to show the, send the film to Sundance to try and get into the festival. And I called her and I said, I need something really next by next week. And, it, you know, she sent us a marvelous piece that we finessed into that opening that you see. Mm, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I remember, um, um, when, uh, Toni Morrison's son passed, um, you know, Slade and, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, the, the film, you know, is, is both personal and public, you know, yeah. uh, in, in the way that it's, um, that is choreographed, so to speak. And, and I just love hearing from her friends because you could say that the people that are talking about her are really like, they are like, they're groupies, but they're also her friends. I mean, like, you know, Oprah is just so dramatic and Sonia Sanchez, you know, when she starts crying, I start crying. It's like, oh my God. And then Angela Davis, like, who knew that Toni Morrison was the reason why we have her autobiography at 28, like we think. Alexander Davis was really 28 at one point. (laughs) (laughs) Well, look at what she was doing at 28. And then Muhammad Ali. Oh, my goodness. Wow. 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 Yeah, and Walter Mosley. I mean, they're all just sitting around at their kitchen table just just sort of like just chopping it up, as they say. It is so (laughs) special. (laughs) It is. Uh, You know, they're... I would just say they're kind of Toni Morrison groupies, but they're also her friends. You know, yes, very, yes. Very, they they understand the the, the I think it was Paula Griffin said that about Tony. She means so much to us. Mm, yes. You know, yeah. and I love that line. Mhm. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it was so funny, you know, to see my um uh my friend uh, my daughter's um. Uh, colleague, they went to a California College of Arts and Crafts together. He got a master's. My daughter got a, a BFA. Um, Hank Willis Thomas. I'm like, Hank, you are oh, everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mother is a friend of mine. Deborah oh, yeah, yeah. yeah Deborah's she was wonderful. Very prominent. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know her work. And, yeah, she's fabulous. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I love that piece of his, too. And, you know, isn't that sort of perfectly placed as well? Mm-hmm. That, that kind of image. I mean, what else would you go to? That's just a divine piece of art to to shoot there, to mm-hmm. show there. Right, right, yeah. And then, you know, Elizabeth Catlett. I mean, like, you know, like you got like yeah. a who's who. I mean, some people are making their appearances, you know, as spiritual beings. That's right. And, and yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, definitely, you know, their their presence is like an ashe to to their work and their spirit and what they've done for our our people yeah. um right. but it's also an ashe to morrison like you know tipping their hat <laughs> right mm-hmm. it is and it, and it was intentional and i'm hoping you're saying that you know i've watched the film many times with audiences and mm. certain audiences just really get it and there's always someone in there who's whispering under her breath or his breath is always like elizabeth catlett Charles White, you know, <laughs> the names of, of you know, all the art, you know, mm-hmm. oh, Carrie James Marshall, or something like that. And, and it's, it, I love, I love that when that happens because you know, it, it's they're part of the dialectic. These these images. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, um, 
how 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 long you know did it take you to pull it all together? I mean, of course, thirty eight years, but um, <laughs> this particular yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's really about five years. Okay. From the time I first talked to Tony and mm. asked her if she would consider it, and and she didn't say no, which was a good sign. Right. And and then uh, finding the funding for it, and you know, assembling the team, and and choosing the people to be in it and and then you know really two years of editing is an enormous amount of work researching mm-hmm. and yeah finding all of this material in, in you know in high resolution and getting the licenses for it all of that is just a tremendous amount of work mm-hmm. yeah yeah so um how did you decide because i'm sure everyone you asked to talk about, uh, you know, Ms. Morrison probably said yes. So how did you end up with the select group of people? And, um, and, and I, I was reading, you know, that you had a Peter Sellers, um, really yeah. wonderful, um, yeah. yeah. And, and, um, when they, when they did a tour with, with that particular work, um, um, they, they did a, um, a symposia at uh UC Berkeley and and uh and Toni Morrison was she was coming through through Skype and and then Sellers was in the, he was there as well as the um uh the African artist whose name is escaping me right now uh, I can kick myself Yeah I know who you mean the the the, the lead of it yeah Yes uh, yes yeah um you know uh I was very careful not I tried to to not interview anyone who wouldn't make it into the film. Oh. I think it's I think it's unfair to just interview lots of people when they give you their time and it they, their energy. Peter, I I feel such guilt for because we have a fabulous piece on Shakespeare and Tony with Peter Sellers and we pulled it because it was an easy seven minutes to pull out of the film. And I have it for the DVD extras and stuff, but you know, uh, I tried to really just invite people who I knew I, I would include in the film in some way. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, Desdemona. That was the name of it. I remember. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah. yeah, it was really amazing, and I was so excited, you know, when I thought she was going to be in the house because she comes. Yeah. To, she had come to the Bay Area because she's a friend of. Um, of the uh Marcus Brooks founders um here. Oh. Yeah, right. yeah, and and oh, so wow. she would come and do fundraisers for them um cuz wow. I think it's yeah, I think it's the oldest black bookstore here in, in Northern California. Um Right, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, that's right. yeah. Oh, wow. I was trying to find Oh, Rokia Chayore, that's her name. That's right. That's Yeah, from really Mali. Right. Yes. Yeah, this right. it was really right. really phenomenal. Wow, yeah, this this you know, film is... And, and, and it's interesting, this is an aside in that little seven-minute piece. Yes. We had asked many of the people who sat for us what their favorite Morrison book was, or ah. piece by Morrison. Yes. And Angela Davis said Desdemona. Ah. And isn't that fascinating? Because, <laughs> you know, it was... Uh, she said that when she saw the production, it was the most moving thing she'd ever seen in her whole life. Mm, mm-hmm. Wow. And yeah. that's, that's in the DVD extra. You know, it was, I wish we could have put it in the film, but there is so much that we could, that other stuff that we had that we had to make decisions. You know, as a director, you got to say, this is the length it's going to be. And mm-hmm. this is the, this is the way it's going to be structured. And I don't think there's room for that mm-hmm. or this, this or that. 
it's a hard, it's a hard, uh, it's hard to make those choices. Yeah, yeah, and you know this this particular film, you know the um, the real the classic with with James um, Baldwin, you know that film that starts right, with right. his funeral, and yeah. um, and then we think about the more recent film on Maya Angelou. Um, that's such a classic. And this film is like one of those classics before it even hit. <laughs> it's just like. I, I, love, I love hearing that. I have to tell you, I have to leave because I'm in a crew oh, here and I'm okay. in a place where I have to do a radio interview. Oh, sure. So no problem. I have, to, I have to get off, but I love talking to you. You really got the film and you, uh, you, your, your knowledge, your background knowledge of all this other stuff is intense. So I'm very, impressed and, and I thank you for doing this. Oh, you're quite welcome and thank you for making this film and I'm looking forward to seeing it in the cinema when it opens on the 28th and seeing it wonderful. as a part of American Masters, you know, that that, yeah. that wonderful series that now your film is going to be one of its members of the canon. Congratulations. That's right. Thank you very much and we hope people will go to the movies to see it because it really is an experience to see it in theaters. You know, it, it's special that way. Oh, certainly, certainly. Yeah, I'm going to get a party together. (laughs) Thank you so much. Oh, you're quite welcome. Have a good rest of the day. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. So now we're going to play the trailer. I wasn't certain if I had added this to the interview. So here is the trailer from The Pieces That I Am. My grandfather bragged all the time that he had read the Bible. And it was illegal in his life to read. Ultimately, I knew that words had power. I wanted as many people who could hear my voice to understand the importance of her work. Get people to trust that, oh, this is something safe. And then, bam, hit them with Toni Morrison. One of the early reviews says she's got a great talent. One day, she won't limit it to only writing about black people. Like, really, it's limiting for her to write about black people? People began to buy Toni Morrison. And then we began to teach her. And as a consequence, they had to pay attention. You know, you're sick unto death of being labeled a black writer. I prefer it. Oh, I thought you probably oh, were no. tired of it. Well, I'm tired of people asking the question. Oh, oh yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't know where this woman's energy came from to raise two kids, to bring other people of color to the party, and also write these novels. Tony was an editor at Random House. Navigating a white male world was not threatening. It wasn't even interesting. I was more interesting than they were. And I wasn't afraid to show it. Suddenly, the canon wasn't the private property of white male writers. I throw this book across the room and then walk down the steps laughing. Like you read Tony and you cry, but you gotta laugh. Texas Bureau of Corrections banned Paradise because it might incite a riot. And I thought, how powerful is that? <laughs> when Tony Morrison published Beloved, it was an extraordinary turning point. We can never think about slavery in the same way. A friend of mine called me up early in the morning and said, Tony, you won the Nobel Prize. And I remember holding his phone thinking, she must be drunk. Tony Morrison's work shows us through pain all the myriad ways we can come to love. That is what she does with some words on a page.
<laughs> That's pretty amazing. That's what she does with, with words on the page. Wow, that is pretty amazing. Uh, words are really powerful. And I don't want to let you go because I've got 25 minutes left. Like, what am I going to How can we follow that up? And um, I'm not certain. So then it's like, okay, well, let me play some music while I think about it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I am trying to figure out, oh, you know, I had this really wonderful interview with Alonzo King, uh, the fabulous choreographer, and uh, that was such a wonderful interview. And I think uh, I haven't played it enough. Um, yeah, I'm thinking maybe that's what I'll play. Uh, it was very nice. Uh, Alonzo. And then also I've had really great interviews about Maya Angelou. And I'm like, hmm. Yeah, this Alonzo King's interview was from back in November 2012. Ah, I think I'll just go ahead and go with it. So Alain King from Alon- Alonzo King from Alonzo King's Line Contemporary Ballet. Oh, man, wonderful, wonderful artist. And uh, so he's telling stories here. It's so funny, after all these years of wanting to talk to you, I'm like, man, I should have been taking notes throughout the years. I'm like, oh, my God, when am I going to ask him? <laughs> I mean, everything just sort of flew out of my mind, and all I all I can do is just sort of be right in this moment and just tell you how much I just loved Constellations. Oh, my goodness. You enjoyed it, huh? Oh, it was so beautiful, and I just loved last year's with, you know, the moving wall, and and this one here is like, you just seem to just top yourself, you know, artistically year after year after year. Yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you've been going strong for 30 years, so, you know, it's not really a problem. <laughs> yeah, and, and then um, your your notes in the program, Art Thought. Yes. Oh, my goodness, I had to share that with my students. I had them read it in my... Um, uh, my composition class. Uh-huh. Yeah. Where, where do you teach? I teach at the College of Alameda. I teach English composition. And in my uh, literature class, uh, we were sort of looking at sort of art making, and we were looking at women art revolution, you know, that whole uh, period where women were sort of um, – you know, taking up public space as artists, visual mm-hmm. artists, dancers, musicians, etc. And and I just read this like this is such a great essay. Oh my goodness! And what's their response to it? Oh, um, well, they thought it was deep. <laughs> and and so um, I told them, well, okay, you don't have to tackle the whole thing. Just just choose an aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And so they all chose, you know. Um, a line or an argument, something that really spoke to them, and we talked about it. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. It, was, it, it was good conversation? Oh, it was excellent conversation. And, and I had brought cards for, you know, for your uh, show in San Francisco. Uh-huh. And so they could go. I said, you know, it's still happening. And I and I had brought programs for them to read more and see the illustrations and mm-hmm. see the program. Um, no one got over there, but I did let them know before. Because, you know, sometimes, you know, teachers and people expose you to things like, well, that happened last year or, 
you know, it's over, but it wasn't over. Um, so I just wanted to expose them to you because, uh, you know, your your work is so, so different. One thing's ballet. Um, you are not necessarily what comes to mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I was just wondering, um, I was reading a little bit about, about the company and its founding, and, and actually you have like a team that you all sort of came together. And I was wondering if you could maybe talk about sort of your vision um, and your collective vision for for ballet and then the lines, you know, capital L, capital I, capital N, capital E, capital S, and, and the form, um, you know, this the beauty of the human body yes. that, that you always accentuate, you know, um, in your pieces. But then, you know, sometimes there's a storyline, and then the music that people have come to expect um, and the collaborations that you've done with musicians and visual artists. And this time, you know, we've got an engineer, you know, artist who works in light, um, it's just so so interesting. So, if you could talk about sort of how how lines came in, came to be thirty years ago to you know and up to now. It was a group. Of, there was three friends: mm-hmm. Robert Pam, Robert Rosenwasser, Pam Hagen, and myself. I had been teaching. We'd worked together before in dance, and I'd been teaching to huge classes here in San Francisco after having relocated here from New York. And um, Pam said, let's start a company. And we did. We came out of the same belief system um, that the body, well, it's a traditional belief, you know, it's uh, that the that we are a triumvirate of body, mind, and spirit. Mm-hmm. And in that hierarchy, that the mind is above the body and spirit is above the mind. And on that premise, we all began to create. Mm-hmm. Pam left a very lucrative job to start from zero with the company and Robert was brilliant in all aspects of creativity. He had come out of Cooper Union out of New York and was a painter mm-hmm. and designer. And I had been trained as a dancer, and I'd always choreographed, and then we began. Mm-hmm. But our marriage was based on a belief system that the three of us believed in the power of the spirit that lays inside of mankind and that that power is unlimited and that humanity is capable of everything. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, are you um, are you from the East Coast? Are you like a native um, New, New Yorker? I was born in Georgia. Oh, a Southerner. Okay. I left at the age of five. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Santa Barbara. Oh, okay. And at an early age, went to New York to study. Hmm. My father was a civil rights leader. His name is Slater King, S-L-A-T-E-R. He was the president of the Albany Movement. And during the civil rights struggle, he became close with Martin Luther King. They worked together in the Albany Movement. And... He was in real estate, and he was asked by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad to come visit him in Chicago Mm -hmm. because there was a notion at that time that 
many blacks had left the South and they sold their land for pennies and went to the North and things weren't much better. And so the movement in the 60s was land is power and black people need to get back to land. And that led my father and uh, Elijah Muhammad to meet because my father was in real estate. So he acquired tons of property for that foundation. And during that time, he met Malcolm X, and they became very good friends, traveled together. And there's a series of letters between them at Fisk University Library. Wow. But I came from people who, well, who they practice what they preached. My father was in a lot of jails. <laughs> mm-hmm. But he knew everyone. You know, he was in conversation with JFK, with, I mean, with everybody. Mm-hmm. So he was a role model for me, impressed me tremendously, and that experience has had an impact on everything I do. Mhm. Yeah. Certainly. Certainly. Ah. Wow. And so, what? Um, so, when your father, your family moved to California, um, you know, why? Why California? Why didn't? Um, did you all stay in the South or? My mother and father divorced. Oh. Mhm. But they remained close friends. Ah, nice. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, I was thinking about, uh, you know, your your art thought, which uh, I just looked over again, and um, and uh, you mentioned in uh, in the piece you talk about. Um, the uh, you know that all life is dancing, but then you also talk about sort of the witnessing, and and I was wondering, um, and and you mentioned that at its highest point, the dancer is not necessarily conscious of the movement that they're being danced, and uh, and I was wondering when when did you start being danced and. Um, and how how was that for you when you could let go of of the control and just allow yourself your life to be danced? Well, I think we all have this illusion that we're in the driver's seat, and we can apply will power, which is a, an amazing tool. But in the end, particularly if you're in a world of creativity, you realize that you're not making anything, you're discovering things that have already been there. And surrender is a very difficult thing because we're so ego-bound, but the moment you can, you feel larger than your small self, and it's a very liberating feeling. Most children already have that, and they're taught to leave it behind. But most children are intuitive, and they know things because they know them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So the aim of everything is ultimate expansion, 
What does that mean? It means no limitation, no shores, no boundaries. What are we talking about? We're talking about eternity. What is eternity? Spirit. So it all goes back to trying to tap into spirit. No matter what anyone says intellectually, what they talk about academically, they can talk about periods of time and styles and uh, artistic devices, but the point is the same point as early man. We are still in the quest to reconnect and emerge in spirit. Hmm. How do you, how do you say so um so optimistic about about um our capacity to to connect with our true selves that is spirit um because it's you know like you said it initially that over 30 years you know you produce a lot of work and 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 you know and and your portfolio, you know, that's just the present. But, you know, your portfolio, you've got a whole series of things that are going to be happening in 2013. And uh, and who knows, you know, where, where your path is going to take you artistically. Um, yet one can see within all of your work the optimism. You know, when people leave, you know, one of your productions, they just... I just feel so wonderful, and everybody's smiling. I mean, we smile <laughs> at the mission, and we smile afterwards, and we, we smile when we just think about the experience. I think that's the point, is to, <laughs> is to um, give the gift. And if we look to the people that we admire, I mean, the hero, heroes and heroines and truth seekers of the world, they, they've given us all the messages of how life can be lived. And so I want to dance, or no, I shouldn't say dance. I want to live life like Mahalia Jackson sings. I want to live life like Gandhi acted. I want to live life like Christ. You know, these, these uh, you know, Harriet Tubman who came out of hell but went back into hell because she could not selfishly enjoy freedom and allow her family, and I mean the family of man, those who were enslaved, to remain there. Mm-hmm. Who does that? I mean, who, who, who will take the tremendous effort that it takes to battle what was happening at that time and come out of hell and make the decision to go back? Because of their love for humanity? You don't see that. Where do you hear of it? In India, that's called the avatar. That is the being who has worked on themselves and has reached enlightenment. And they say, oh, my God, this is so amazing. I must tell my fellow man. And what are we talking about? We're talking about a huge capacity for love. What does that mean? It means, once again, that the little ego has been dissolved and they have melted in the larger self. So no matter what is happening in the world, no matter how small, how petty, how ugly, the overarching big picture is joy. And that is, no matter how it looks, that's going to be the ultimate. That's the destination, regardless of trial and suffering or bouts with evil. The ultimate is joy. Thank <laughs> you. 
know, I um, had an opportunity to um, to visit your dance studio when it first opened, and that was really wonderful. I believe uh, you all were working on a piece, um, or there was a piece being um, worked on that had to do with the Fillmore and uh, and the um, the internment, the Japanese internment. Um, that was, wasn't me. Hmm, that wasn't. No, I'm trying to think. No, it wasn't you. But it was at your. It was at your. Um, in your in your studios. Uh huh. Yeah. Um. It was. Um. ACT put on a. Um. Uh. A play that looked at. Um. The uh. The Japanese internment and and African Americans coming into the Fillmore and a lot of them, the um. The people that were migrating, uh, taking living in those homes that were um, formerly occupied or formerly lived in by the uh, Japanese. And the incredible, the incredible destruction, the dissolution, the, the, the intention to destroy the Fillmore, the thriving Fillmore, mm-hmm. and it was a success. Yeah, yeah. When I first came to San Francisco, I said, where's the black community? <laughs> No, really, it puzzled me for a long time. I was like, where, you know, why, where, where's the, where's the intelligentsia? Mm-hmm. Where's the black community? And it had been robbed, destroyed, spilled, you know, under the guise of urban renewal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people call that urban removal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, um. That really I, blew my mind. Mhm. Are there places because um, you've traveled, you know, quite extensively, um, and you take us with you, one, which is really wonderful in your work. Um, but are there any places um, in this country where there is an intact black community? Definitely, <laughs> Atlanta, mm-hmm. Brooklyn, Washington D.C. Uh huh. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. That's that's good to know. Yeah. Um hmm. Yeah, I um in thinking about your, you know, sort of a Lions um ballet, um, you know, as an institution, um, you know, you have you have real estate, um, you have a people can get um a degree, a bachelor's degree, um you know, in in dance, uh, a BFA um, at Dominican University of California. Um, uh, you hold multiple degrees and honors, and and I was reading that you actually um, you um, you know you you've been a teacher, um, not just uh, of dance, but actually um, other other academic such subjects. And I was wondering um, at this point in your career. Uh, sort of, do you um, like sort of where where do you see yourself like in the next ten years or so? Like where what what new territory do you want to discover? You know, I don't know that I'm going to be here tomorrow, mm. but I do know that to the best of my ability, I'm going to try to keep doing more and better. Those two words for the rest of my life, more. Mhm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember when um, when you debuted the People of the Forest. Oh my uh, God. With the Vaca 
from Central African you saw Republic. That piece? <laughs> Weren't they amazing? Oh my goodness! And Milanka Cascular was alive then, and and he man. was there. Yeah, and um, and I asked. Of Milanka. Mhm. Yeah. It was amazing. Mhm. Beautiful spirit. Yes, he is. Yes, he was certainly. He, certainly. Yeah, he came to that show. Yes, he did. Mhm. <laughs> yeah, it was great, and uh, and I was asking him all kind of questions afterwards because um, I think um, you know it was the first in my introduction to the Central African Republic. I mean, I know you know the people of the forest because actually I have a book called the People of the Forest, mm-hmm. and there there was an exhibit um, at the University of California Pacific uh, University of California Art Museum um, with the bark paintings. A long time ago, and mm-hmm. uh, and Robert Ferris Thomas came through t- and gave a lecture, um, but the people weren't there, and you brought the people, and I was like, oh, it was ooh, that was beautiful. One of the most amazing experiences of my life, mm-hmm. going into the bush and watching the baka sing and dance and observing their character as humans. Their brilliance, it was, and to share that with so many people, mm-hmm. it was quite amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thank you so much for that. That was just, oh, man, it was just life, life-altering. life Well, it was, I agree with you, it's life-altering, but it was the work of many people. <laughs> <laughs> Not just me. Oh, of course, of course, yeah, yeah, but you're, you know, you're the person out front, but how how did you how did you do that? Um, sort of bring them here. That was just was really phenomenal because I know a lot of times is people want to bring um, artists, you know, that are outside of our country here, and it's a lot of times it's really daunting and and um, I know it's not easy, but but you got it. It happened for you. You were able to do it. Are you, we were able to do it right. It happened right after 9/11. Yeah. We had to lobby senators. We had to work like freaks mm. to get them to allow the Baca to come. Because they were like, they didn't want anyone coming in. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, you know, the whole idea of the Central African Republic. I mean, who would have known that um, not long after that, um, President Aristide would be taken there. That's right. Yeah. Mhm. And the Central African Republic is so beautiful. Mm. But then after the civil wars there, and you know, so much political strife. Mhm. Yeah. But amazing people, amazing people. And a very inspiring project. We um, mm-hmm. we built that project. In Florida, at White Oak, at Barishnikov Studios, mm-hmm. and which meant that we were out in the country, 10,000 acres of land, and so the Baca just loved it. Mm-hmm. You know, we were not in a city; we were in nature, and all we did was work on that ballet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot of good memories. Yeah. How long? 
how long were you working on it? How long did that process take? You won't believe this, but they were detained for a week. Oh, wow. They came a week later than they were supposed to, and we had two weeks mm. to pull that together. We were all pulling our heads off, but we did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, does it normally take about three weeks for you to... Um, well, it can take, you know, it can take from two weeks to three to, to six months. It depends. Mm-hmm. depends on if you have the luxury of time or if you don't. But that's a very, very narrow window. But, you know, we've done a lot of research, and ideas always live in your head. But, you know, the with time, you can do, you can go deeper. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we did a wonderful work, but because we, we were at White Oak and we didn't have to go to, you know, we didn't, we didn't have to do 9 to 5. We could do 9 to 12 at night. Right. So we could make two days out of one, but, um, you know, the, the breadth of a piece in creating it, it changes quite a bit, except when I have to go to companies and um, do commissions for works, it's, they want a work done in about three weeks. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Because the cost, you know, mm-hmm. of the time, the hotel, all of that, you know, it's expensive. and. Yeah. That's the game. Mhm. Yeah. So talk about about how you work. You got, you know, your your company of dancers and it's just really wonderful um sort of like seeing old friends when when we see them on stage. It's like, mm-hmm. "Oh, what's she going to be doing? Oh, and this is her personality and that's his personality." And then you, you know, you have, you know, sometimes you bring in new new um uh, company uh, members because others leave and sometimes you have guests and suppose you could talk about, about your company and, and your creative process and like for instance maybe we could talk about um, your more recent piece or maybe we could talk about uh, I really love the piece that when you had um, uh, Jason Moran um, uh, as um, as one of your your uh, collaborators um you love Jason Moran or what? That was, like, awesome. And then I was there that Sunday, and I think you all spoke on that Sunday. That was really nice. I love it when I get a chance to hear your, you speak about the work. That always really enriches and deepens the experience for me. So I was there for the conversation, and that was, like, hot, too. And then walking around, you're when it's like, oh, my God, that's Jason Moran in, in the lobby. And then and then I look up, and there you are in the lobby, and you're just like, just like regular people. It's just, like, so cool. <laughs> Yeah, Jason is an amazing human being. Mm-hmm. Just so giving. He said to me, "I um, I really want to support these artists," and that is very rare to hear someone say that. You know, because most people are thinking about themselves. But he said, "I want," and he would mention names of the dancers. I want to support each one. In what they're doing, that kind of generosity and you know his brilliant mind and sensitivity is just it was an extraordinary gift, and the score that he made wow we are we perform that piece a lot when we're on the road, and whenever I hear it, even in rehearsal, I always think what Jason gave us is so sublime, what a gift, 
Because, you know, when you hear the music again, you remember and you think, wow, Jason really, really <laughs> did, did us good. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked initially about what I wanted, and we talked about not having it be any place that was familiar or predictable or could take a title like jazz or classic, but just beautiful, heartfelt music. Mm-hmm. And he went there. Yeah. Really, I just, you know, I'm not, I'm just speaking in superlatives, but I can't talk highly enough about him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do your ideas a lot of times start um, as a conversation? Well, they start in the head, mm-hmm. and then they... You know, you, you have to talk with the, the collaborators that you're talking to. Oh, God, I'm coming. I have to get out of here. Oh, okay. <laughs> so um, was there anything else you wanted to ask me? Um, I was just wondering, um, as uh, did were you inspired by any particular um, artist, or whether that was dance or visual artist, um, when you were coming into uh, this particular work that you had made into your life, Long Pursuit? I think that I'm always inspired by truth and beauty in whatever form they manifest, mm-hmm. whether that's a novel, mm-hmm. manuscript, painting, a human being, nature, any form of revelation you know, a flower, a basket, you know, that's been hand-woven from some indigenous culture. It all is communicating how things can be done. It's all communicating about how other things work in the universe. If there's one thing that's built well, you can as a scientist or a designer or a homemaker or an agriculturalist look at that work and receive information from it. So anything that's well done, I hold on to it. Anything that's poorly done, that's also information. And so I think in the observation of art making, the, 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 it's, it's the creative mind that's at work, and I don't think it ever does not work. That's just the way that you live, you know, whether you're in the studio, whether you're in the kitchen, whether, you know, whether you're at the beach, it's, that's who you are. It's the sensibility that you've developed. I, for me, um, I'm always struck and inspired by commonality. This idea of difference, and as fascinating as difference is, I mean, particularly if you look under the ocean, the difference there in terms of creatures and types is mind-boggling, particularly as they have these cameras that can go to the depths of the ocean now where it's so dark, and you see creatures that they, it's, it, it all looks so alien. And yet... We human beings can look at each other in that same way, terrain, animals, blah, blah, blah. But science is even now telling us that there is only one substance, and everything else is just a manipulation of a different rate of vibration between matter, solid, liquid, and look. And so I'm always wowed when I'm able to see behind appearance and get a glimpse of the unity 
when I've seen dance all over the world, I see the same ideas. People will say, oh, well, this style or this form, it's like, no, if you really look, it's the same manipulation of ideas. Here they're playing against gravity. Here they're using gravity. Here they're telling a story about the, the struggle, blah, blah, blah. It's always the same. If you really look, difference is, is I mean, diversity is fascinating as it is, is really a trick. But I gotta run out of here. <laughs> okay. Well, perhaps we can um, pick this up at some other point be- before, um, you know, maybe next year or so. All right, then. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye.